Good morning. Amen. Can we give it up to the worship team? You know, while many of us were still doing things and, and maybe even getting out of bed still, they were here rehearsing, getting ready to encourage us and to lift up their God. And so thank you for doing that. I just took note of that song. We got to bring that song to Central Jersey. I hadn't heard that one. So I, I took note of that. My worship leader will be hearing from me today. We need that one. We need that one. Amen. Well, um, you know, uh, I want to uh, extend uh, some thank yous first. Uh, really, uh, I want to thank all of you. Um, you know, Gloria and I, uh, I was born and raised in Brooklyn. My, my wife was born in Puerto Rico, but raised in the Bronx. And so um, we, you know, there's certain, you know, lingo we have. There's certain humor we have that y'all all get. And, and I got to tell you, it's just... It's very natural, you know, it's just very natural. Uh, I'm not a suburbanite, but that, that's the church that, that we're leading. We're, we're in suburbia. And, and they, they've adapted some, and I've adapted some, uh, but, but, and it's great, you know, you get stretched in different ways, but man, it just feels good when you can kind of talk how you want to talk, and everybody's good. Everybody's good. So, I, I definitely want to thank you guys for that. And also, let me just mention, uh, thank you for all, uh, the kind words. Uh, the brother was mentioning, hoping that we get something from it. We, we, we walk away full. And I, I'm gonna tell you why. You know, honestly, if one person gets something from what we've been through, it just makes it worth it. Now, it doesn't take away all the pain, but it reminds me of what God can do through the pain. And, and because of that, we're grateful. We're grateful for all the kind words. We're grateful for the encouragement. And we're grateful just to be here with you guys. So thank you all uh, for doing that as well. Amen. And, uh, of course, we want to thank the Warrens and the Hooks for having us here. Uh, it's just been a great time here. And uh, we're going to uh, close this out here, uh, uh, hopefully in a way that will help us to leave encouraged and with a vision uh, to just grow in our marriages. So uh, let's go to God in prayer, and uh, we'll jump right into it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for today, God. We thank you for this opportunity that we have, Father, to take a weekend to focus on our marriages. Father, we're, we're so grateful that uh, marriages can be so impacting to each of us personally, to our families, and to everyone around us. Father, we know this incredible privilege we have to be married, Lord, that you would compare marriage to you and the church. Father, we're grateful that we could be instruments to help people to see what it is and what it looks like to really follow you, Father, that we trust you, that your way is always the best way. And Father, we just pray that, uh, Father, you could use this time well beyond any human ability, Lord. Father, that you could touch each and every heart in this room. And Father, that we may leave prepared and ready to be our best for you. God, we love you. We thank you. We pray all this in your son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. And so uh, the title of his last uh, sermon is It Takes Two to Make Lasting Changes. It Takes Two 
to make lasting changes. You can start turning to Acts chapter 3. We'll get there in a couple of minutes. But it takes two to make lasting changes. And, you know, I, I really want to encourage you to consider what changes you want to make going back. Let me tell you, there's nothing more discouraging than when you feel, all right, I'm going back ready to change some things, and your spouse is completely checked out. There's just nothing more discouraging than that. When you feel like, okay, I'm ready, I'm going for it, and then you look to your side, and the person that you need to be in this battle with you is already moved on and thinking about the sports games later or or thinking about the the chores they got to do or thinking about the things that they want to accomplish other than in the marriage. And so, you know, we could decide that we get this and we have this time and then we could just fold right back into everything that was already going on. Or we can say, I want to be different. So what do you do now? You know, you've heard things, maybe you've heard one or two things that maybe helped you. Maybe maybe it wasn't even that. Maybe it was spending time with one another and just getting away from the kids for a little while. Maybe it was just getting away from the busyness of life and, and dedicating some time to each other. Maybe Maybe that's what really was making an impact for you. But I want to ask you, as you go back, as you prepare to go back home, do you have a game plan? Here's the thing. If you don't have a game plan going back, when you get back, it's going to be the same old thing. You're just going to roll right back into the same old thing. And we'll see what we got to realize. The reason you need a game plan is the problems you have now didn't happen overnight. And they're not getting fixed overnight. Or even two overnights. It's going to take some time. It took some time to get there, and it's going to take some time to get out of there. But the process of change can begin right now. Simply by deciding, I will change, and I will do whatever it takes to grab on to the life that God has called me to. It's a decision that you can make right now that kickstarts The process of change and really seeking to be different. You know, uh, I want to read a story here in Acts chapter 3 that, you know, I like to look at because sometimes uh, we don't realize what God wants to do in our lives. Sometimes we look around and we think it's for someone else. Not realizing that God is trying to do something in us. And uh, there's a story here in Acts chapter 3, uh, reading verses 1 to 10. The print might be small, so uh, you, maybe you could read along uh, in your Bible. But I, I want to read uh, this story because I think it will help us to leave with some great principles as we go back home. The Bible says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. 
When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. You know, you read this story, first you might be thinking, okay, what in the world does this have to do with marriage? Well, there's a whole lot here that you could really take and imply, apply to your life in general, but especially your marriage. You know, here's this man that had been lame his whole life, Entire life, and he and he's been been going to this gate, and and obviously he'd been doing this for a long, long time. He had been seeing people go in and out of the temple. He had become accustomed to seeing people going in and having access to stuff that they that he himself had no access to. He was accustomed to seeing people getting maybe what they want, and him day after day not getting what he want, what he wanted. He was accustomed to going there and asking for money because he knew these same people, if he was somewhere else, they might not give him the money. See, he reasoned, and it's got to be why he would go to the temple courts, is because he knew they would go with their money there, right? But also, you know what happens when you come to church, you're in a church mode. And so when you're in a church mode, you think about giving, right? I'm not just talking about money. You put your church lingo on, you got your church smile on, you got your church kindness on, you got the, the, the humble uh, person, persona out. It's just you, you spiritual on Sunday. So if I want help from people, I want to go to the place where at least they act spiritual. And I think that's what he said. Well, I'll go there because at least there, because they're not going to act crazy at the temple. If I'm in the town, they might just walk right by me and ignore me. And so this, even in that, there is a little small lesson. But imagine just the disappointment of just going there and being needing from other people. But, you know, I, I think about how that place probably became a comfortable place for him over time. Because that's what he did. And that's where he got money. And that became a way to get by. And you know, when we leave here, you're going to have a choice. You're going to have a choice. And really, this is a you and God choice. What will I do? Am I going to go back and be different? Or will I just go back to my comfortable place? My first point is just that. Don't just go back to your comfortable place. See, we all have a comfortable place. 
Don't just go back to your spiritual couch and get comfortable. Get a game plan. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's difficult. But how else will you grow in your marriage? See, everyone has room to grow. There's no one in this room that's like, hey, we've got it figured out. We're good. So everyone has something they need to grow in. I believe many times we don't see the kind of growth that we could because we'd rather be in our comfortable place. I think many times there's a great victory ahead that because we refuse to leave that spiritual, comfortable couch, we don't see that growth actually happen in our life. If you're not growing in your marriage, listen, we should all have issues, but if you're not growing, something's wrong. Something is wrong. And you've got to figure out, well, why, why is this? If I'm following Jesus, why isn't this happening differently for me? You know, I've gained convictions on this. That honestly, I, 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 I've read passages like this, and I want to read this. Philippians 3. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection. And participation in sufferings becoming like Him in His death. Now, let's be honest. We might read that passage straight, but we live it how I just said it. We want the power of His resurrection. I want the victory. I want to know Christ. I just want to know comfortability a little bit more. I want to know Jesus. I want to see the victories, but I don't really want to sacrifice to see. I don't want to deal with suffering. I don't want to experience pain. I don't want to have to get uncomfortable. To know Christ. Yeah. Listen, if we're real about this, we've run from this. Yeah. I'm, t- I'm at the front of the line. I- I'm learning this. I- now I have convictions about this. You experience some suffering and you see what God does. You're like, oh, okay. Okay, so this is how it goes. But, you know, I- you know, I've read that passage. I've read it aloud from the pulpit. But yet in my heart, It's always been. I want to know Jesus in the least painful way as possible. And see, the problem is, sometimes, as I mentioned yesterday, it's in the pain that you really get to know Christ. It's when you go to that uncomfortable place. When you decide that, okay, I've got to get a little uncomfortable if I want... To be my best. You know, I, I read a lot. And, um, you know, I learn different things. And, I, and I, you know, one of the things that holds people back sometimes is that, you know, uh, people that have been hurt, for instance. They're like, well, listen, the last time I did that, I got burned. See, the last time I confessed, somebody laid me out and never helped me. You know, the last time I trusted someone, 
They really just hammered me and never really helped me. And so, you know, I have a problem trusting people sometimes. You know, I remind you of this passage because this one is always very convicting. Even if you should suffer for what is right, you're not dumb. You're not stupid. You're blessed. So what does that say? If I trust because my God calls me to trust, if I remain humble and seek help because God calls me to seek help, and I get burned, I'm not dumb, I'm not stupid, God says I'm blessed. If you suffer for what is right, now you know we invite a lot of suffering because we do dumb things. Now I'm talking about if you suffer for what is right, you are blessed. This is why sometimes we've got to embrace that uncomfortable place simply because it's right. And when it hurts, we remember, man, I'm blessed according to the scriptures. When I suffer for what's right, I'm blessed. You view pain and discomfort very differently when you understand the thing I need to make sure is, is this what God wants? That's the decision I've got to feel. Is this what God wants? I'm not saying, hey, let's look for suffering, suffering and go make it happen. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> Plenty of that will come to you. Trust me. Whether you choose it or not. What I'm saying is, when you do what's right, or when you seek to do what's right, don't run from it. Just because it could be painful. Just because, well, man, if I really talk about where my heart is, this is going to be rough. It was so inspiring here in the communion. Thank you guys for sharing that story. You know, as I hear hear them sharing, I'm just visualizing the pain, the decisions, the sacrifices that need to be made. And let me, you know, uh, I forgot to thank you guys, especially the Bronx, for one more thing. Thank you for Paris and Zinable. We love them down in Central Jersey. Um, the reason it came to my mind is I, uh, Paris said something yesterday that really struck me. After I, we left here, I had to stop by the uh, uh, singles devotional to, to talk to um, some of our singles. And um, Paris said something. He goes, you know, when you give up something to get something later, that's not a sacrifice. It's an investment. And so what you've got to see is that the sacrifices you make for the benefit of your marriage aren't really sacrifices. You're only investing in yourself and in your spouse. And so we've got to see that this place of uncomfortability, to go there means to invest in you and your spouse. You know, um, I was reading about this psychological model and sometimes you know it's it's good to to read this stuff sometimes you realize okay that that i can find that in the bible and you know i was reading about this thing called uh they call it the learning zone model and uh it talks about us having three states of being you have your comfort zone right this is the place where you're just comfortable not looking to be stretched not looking to be bothered too much uh, this place tends to be pretty boring. You don't know it's boring because you're comfortable. It's only till you get out of it you realize that the real action is happening somewhere else. But when you're there, you feel really comfortable. It's a place that you would rather be than any place else. And we, we have that kind of zone, right? 
And then he talks about the other extreme is called the panic zone. And the panic zone is when things have already gone haywire. So much so that you can't even think straight. See, a lot of times people run for help. They run for discipling when it, they're in panic zone. And so now they can't even think straight. They can't even make great decisions. And unfortunately, I've seen people make decisions in the panic zone that were terrible decisions because they were not in a good place to make that decision. But there's a place, an optimal place, and they call it the learning zone. And the learning zone finds itself between the two extremes. It's not a place of comfort and it's not a place of panic. So you don't wait till things blow up to get help. And you don't say so comfortable that you don't go after help. The idea is, listen, you want to get help before the storm comes, not in the middle of it. You don't want to go, if there's a hurricane coming in, you don't want to go, well, let me go get the milk now in the midst of the storm. That's not the time. You want to prepare beforehand. Let me tell you something. I don't know if this happens in New York, but in New Jersey, if now if you hear there's an inch of snow, it's like, it's like snowmageddon. People rushing supermarkets. I'm like, what is going on? It's an inch of snow, folks. What are we doing? But people get so crazy now. It's, I mean, I remember we would go to school and it's like 12 inches. Walk, walk your butt to school. And what in the world? They closing school and it didn't even snow. Anyway, I'm on a rant here. Sorry. But, you know, there's a place that we'll need to go that's neither comfortable and neither a place of panic. And we've got to be willing to go there if we want to really change. If you want to grow, you have to move out of your comfort zone. You know, we say we want help. We say we want relationships. But then when it's time to go, you're too busy. I can't tell you how many times we, we've talked to our marriage over the years and say, okay, how many of us believe that we need discipling in our life? I get almost unanimous. Everybody, yeah, raise your two hands. Okay, how many of y'all actually been getting with people regularly? And all of a sudden it's like, oh. Well, I, I'm not actually asking, but okay, amen. I'm glad you are. Uh, but, you know, sometimes you can want, you, you might want to know Christ, but the real test is, what are you actually doing to get to know Christ? You can say you want help, you want discipling, you want relationships, but if you're not willing to sacrifice time and energy, if you're not willing to go in and know that you will be hurt, they won't tell you things the way you want to hear them all the time. If you're not willing to do that, then you're not really wanting to get help. And this is where we've got to be willing to do what's right, even if it brings some pain. I mean, how better understand that in marriage? We love each other, but we hurt each other. That's the reality. I don't care who you are. It's a reality. We don't say, oh, well, you know, marriage is not worth it. Well, hopefully you're not saying that. No, you realize that these are part of the challenges, but I, I want the whole package. And we've got to really see that if we want to grow, we're going to have to push past certain uncomfortable places. My second point is this. Don't settle for routine. 
Now you might think, well, man, that's almost the same. Well, I'm going to tell you why it's a little bit different. Sometimes routines can be uncomfortable. But because they're routines, you keep doing it. Sometimes, and you know that there are things that we do that we know aren't good, but we keep doing it out of routine. People could come to church every week out of routine. People sin sometimes because it's a routine even though they know that they shouldn't be doing it. Sometimes we're going to be tempted to just go right back into our routine. You know, this man that was at the gate... He was lame since birth. He was carried to the temple gate and dropped off there every day, the Bible says. He was put there every day to beg for money. He had a daily routine. He had become accustomed to going there strictly for money. So when Peter and John call his attention, he doesn't think, oh, what, God, what is God going to do? No, he thinks, oh, they're going to give me money. Because that was the routine. The reason I share this is, when you settle into routines, what ends up happening is you end up lowering expectations for what God can do. See, the the lame beggar, he's going there, he lowers the bar, even though he's at the temple, even though these are God-fearing people going into the temple, the routine tells him, all I'm going to get out of this is money. All I'm going to get out of this situation is some monetary help. Because that was the routine. We fall into routines and we don't realize it lowers expectations of what God can do. We think, well, you don't understand. We've been in this place five years, ten years, fifteen years. So for you it seems like, well, we're never going to really break out of this. And what you're doing is you're saying, well, you know, just give me what I know that I could get by with versus what God can do with this. We settle for routine. We settle for what we know. Okay, this is good. You know, I don't know if y'all missed it, but Zalika made an incredible point yesterday at the end. When you raise the bar of Ephesians 5 and you really look at it for what it says, it tells you, it brings you to a point of conviction. You can't read that and say, I, I mean, God, you have to. You, you get there like, God, I can't live this on my own. But when you lower the bar, you can figure it out on your own. Because you lowered the expectation to make you feel like you're good. So you just lower it as low as, low as it needs to get for you to sleep at night. That's why we've got to be careful that we're just not settling in to routines. You know, I saw this quote, it's a really powerful quote. It is a wretched taste to be gratified with mediocrity when the excellent lies before us. God doesn't want us. Here's a fact. He does not want us to have mediocre marriages. He does not. Because he needs you to shine like a light. If you're mediocre, that means your marriage is dull and fits into the world. But if you're different, if you really are like now, you glorify him. Because everyone will know they surely didn't get there on their own. They know Jesus must have been with them. What did they do when they saw the the lame beggar walking around and jumping? They didn't say, hey, Peter, what'd you do? No, they said, well, God, what happened? They, They were moved 
Because they knew this man was there for years. And see, what when you see people change, and this is why I don't want, if you're sitting there discouraged or you don't understand where we're at, Understand this, when you change, people around you will ask the question before you even want to tell them the answer. It's, a, it's, a, it's evangelizing before even opening your mouth. Because they're going to want to know, well, man, how did you guys get there? When you can make a change like that, people will say, like they said to the apostles, surely these people must have been with Jesus. They will look at your life and say, surely God has worked in their lives in an incredible way, and I want that as well. But if you settle into your routines, you're going to get the same results. And listen, you don't have to be doing terrible to settle into routines. You know, I find that actually, as you get older as a Christian, you figure out what's acceptable. And then, sometimes, if you keep it real, you're comparing yourself to the really f- the folks that you know are struggling. Oh, I ain't as bad as them. I'm not as bad as them. And so then now I feel good about myself. Is that really what God wants? Is that what Jesus would say? Oh, man, you guys are doing great because, man, you're not as bad as them. Or are we all in need, in desperate need, of a mighty God? This is why we've got to be careful not to settle into routines. You know, I preach this point hard, you know why? Because I'm a creature of habits. It's natural for me to settle into routines. I don't really veer off stuff. You know, people ask, you got married in 19. Because the way I roll... I find something good, I'm done. I don't need to keep going. That's just the way I am. No reason to complicate it. I'm good. That's the way that I am. That's why people are like, 19? Well, yeah, there wasn't a need for me to keep looking. I knew what I had. So that's the way. I'm a a creature of habit, and it helps me in some great decisions like that. And other times, it drives my wife crazy. But that's a whole other story. But we've got to realize that just... Going back into our routine, that's not going to be helpful for you. And my last point is this. You're going to miss a miracle if you do that. You're going to miss a miracle. You're going to miss out on what God wants to do in your life. You're only cheating yourself. You're only missing out on something that God has prepared for you. You know, we shared... A little bit yesterday, um, you know, we had lunch with James, and James mentioned, like, yeah, man, it was, it was convicting. Glory was working on submission, and you were still an atheist. And I said, oh, snap, you're right. <laughs> that never hit me. <laughs> I mean, I, I was like, well, yeah, that's true. She was submitting to an atheist. I'm like, how did she do that? And, you know, just so, so we're clear... I wasn't like this, like, laid-back atheist. I made fun of Christians. In fact, I kind of enjoyed it. I worked with people that at least called themselves Christians. I just went in on them. I did things, honestly, to my wife that I I get scared saying them in public because I'm like, okay, you know, don't hurt me, please, God. But honestly, there was a time, I'll never forget, it, 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 like, scares me when I think about it, but there was a time I was persecuting my wife about going to church 
And, you know, she, you know, she had convictions and, and she went in the room to pray. And I went in and stood behind her and said, who are you praying to? Nobody listening to you. That was me. The person here preaching, that was me. You know, that, when I think about that, that scares the daylights out of me. I share that to you because there are people you think are goners that God is preparing something for them. There are people that you've given up on, and it might even be your spouse. And yet God is working on them. Let me tell you something. I started reading the Bible on my own because I didn't want any of the Jesus freaks to study the Bible with me. I said, I'm going to read the Bible on my own for myself because I don't want to come here and then they're going to brainwash me with their nonsense. I'm going to read this thing by myself. And I, saw, I read the Bible from cover to cover. Now listen, don't ask me what Leviticus was talking about. I, it, it got crazy. I was, I was lost. When I got to the New Testament, it all started making sense. And there were points where I would, as an atheist, not sure what I believed yet, where I would get chills reading the Bible. And let me tell you something. I didn't tell my wife. She had no idea. Because my pride was just so high. I couldn't admit that maybe she was right and I was wrong. In fact, I told her, I'll read the Bible so I can help you out so you understand this is wrong. So I couldn't now then admit that, wait, this could be real. Don't give up on the people around you. You never know what God is doing. Maybe you've never seen it, so you don't know what it looks like. Don't miss your miracle. Not not having experienced the marriage God wants to give us, sometimes causes us to not even desire it because we don't even know what we're missing. This is why your life is important. So that people can see what they're missing. But if your life is not an example, guess what? They ain't missing that. This is why you need to do it for God first. You need to do it for each other. You need to do it for the rest of your family. And you got to do it for all the people around you who need Jesus. One of the most powerful evangelistic tools we have is our marriage. You know, there's a quote that says, the only Bible some people will read is your life. Some people will not want to read the Bible, but if they see you be different, it will move them. It's what moved me. To one of the it was the first seed was seeing my wife change. It was the first seed. There was not a scripture shared in that moment. There was not this incredible spiritual experience. It was seeing my wife change made me wonder what is this all about? You know, in Central Jersey, we challenge our marriage. We know the campus have more time, but that doesn't mean that we can't make disciples just like they do. If I, in fact, I believe if our marriages are light, we can help just as many people become disciples. Our marriages outbaptize everybody in Central Jersey, everybody, and I'll tell you why. God blesses the planting and watering, and a lot of the planting and watering comes before even you open your mouth. You focus on your marriage. You be a light. 
and watch how God shines. Watch how God helps those people around you. And remember this. Jesus will complete the work he started in you. Don't ever give up. Don't ever miss out on a miracle that he has planned for you in your marriage. Let's go home with a plan. Let's decide that we're not going to go to our comfort zone. We're not going to go to the places of routine, the things that we do. But that we're going to look for the miracle, for the work that God